Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans. Welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I critique and argue over horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe never quite learn anything. Maybe we never enlighten you. Maybe we never leave you nice presents under the tree. (laughs) But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So today we are continuing our discussion of the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise with Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Better Watch Out. (laughs) So this was directed by Monte Hellman, who also did the film Beast from Haunted Cave, which I believe was his first movie and was a Roger Corman production, uh, who he got his start with, as most people around this time did, was with Roger. So (laughs) Uh, it was written by Rex Wiener. Of course you would laugh at that. Of course you would laugh at that already. You've lost half the audience now. They all think we're immature morons. I think that that plays very well into the film. Oh, fair enough. Uh, So it was written by Rex Wiener. um, And essentially it follows. It's a sequel to part two, but very loosely connected. So uh, it follows our killer Ricky once again, this time played by Bill Mosley, who you all probably know from... You know, as Chop Top and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, or he's worked with Rob Zombie a lot and House of a Thousand Corpses and all those. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing, but he's no Eric Freeman. You stop now. Bill Mosley <laughs> is amazing. He is and amazing. He is no, and he is not Eric Freeman, but Eric, they both have their own special charms, all right? <laughs> I want Eric and, Freeman. Well, okay, so, so I think <laughs> as fans of Ricky, yes, it would have been fun to see Eric Freeman back in this, although... Considering how the characters use the movie, I don't think you would have really gotten what you want out of Eric Freeman from this. He would have been amazing. No, I'm going to talk about why, but I don't think so. (laughs) But anyway, so it stars Bill Mosley as Ricky, and in this film, Ricky is now a comatose uh, Frankenstein potato in a hospital bed (laughs) in a coma, and there's Laura, played by Samantha Scully, who's this young uh, psychic blind girl who this doctor, Dr. Newberry, played by Richard Brimer, is using to, like, connect to Ricky for some God-benowned reason, you know. (laughs) As you can imagine, you know, Ricky doesn't stay in a coma forever. So So we are going to be spoiling this film. We're going to talk about everything we can with it. So if you have not seen it, please do go check it out first. Uh, I believe it is streaming on Shudder and possibly Tubi still. I believe you can find all the sequels on both of those. Uh, But Shudder, I know for sure. Um, (laughs) But otherwise, we do have our usual spoiler-free content, so we'll let you know we're getting into the spoilers. But, you know, as usual, we got releases for the week. So uh, this is actually a pretty decent week for this point in December. Well, mostly. Uh, So (laughs) first up is a film called Akura. I think that's how you say it. And this comes to VOD on the 14th. So this is basically a film uh it's a moroccan film and it's basically uh, about this group of friends who as kids encountered 
some sort of monster, which I, I believe in the movie is more of a, a, a djinn, you know, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with those or, or with that lore. And uh, they encounter a djinn when they're younger, and then as adults, they've kind of forgotten, and then they get reacquainted with one of them who they lost as kids, and then find themselves on this like hunt to go stop this monster that has come back all these years later and so you know if if you're listening to that and thinking like oh that sounds like stephen king's it uh, you're very correct um it (laughs) it's moroccan it it? kind of so it 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 has similarities in that sense you know it's obviously not on the level of it i mean king's story is genius and this is a shade of that so (laughs) it's the, the thing about it that's interesting is that you know, I watched this film and I was kind of like, it's sort of like uh, an adaptation of Stephen King's It, directed by Gamel del Toro and written by Eli Roth. <laughs> and so, you had me until Eli Roth. Yeah, so so my basically the, the film is interesting because it's a, you know, it's this very kind of like big sort of dark fantasy fairy tale sort of film, right? It, like awesome. very very whimsical and mysterious and magical in some ways, you know. Uh, and so and so it does all of that very well, and that's kind of where the del Toro element comes from. But then, uh, you know, the the issues that I had are that the, the characters are not very well developed for this kind of story, right? You know, with the slasher or something, it might not matter as much. But with this, you know, the, the characters have to have an impact. And, yeah. And, and there's a, not as much of that as you'd want. Uh, and then it just kind of there, – there are – for a film that feels like it's aimed towards kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> there are just some things that are a little bit too adult <laughs> that that I'm not I'm not sure. You know, it's basically the kind of movie where like I'm not 100 percent sure who this is for because um, because it's not it's not gory, it's not violent. You know, I I would it's not very scary. You know, if that's the kind of thing you're looking for, and and that is a to each their own thing. You know, just because I say it doesn't mean it's not. But yeah, so it's not really those things, but. The uh, but there's this sort of implication of like kind of an implied metaphor of the creature as like a pedophile sort of Ugh. you know like a, it's like it's a metaphor for that is something you encounter as a kid right and and then there's just weird things like one character is kind of like shown as like a gimp for a bit of the movie because not exactly a gimp but uh. he's like you know he's got like this weird bar in his mouth and doesn't uh. like talk and drools a lot you know and like. And there's like kids peeing themselves and shit. So like, it's not, so so there are just some things there. That's why I say like Eli Roth, you know, that just go a little a little like more extreme than you might think for a kids movie, despite there being like no gore really. You oh, know, at least language. make it up to me by having gore. So yeah, that's what I mean. Is it's not you know it's not quite like I I you know I I watched everything when I was a kid, so I don't really say you know this isn't for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're one of those parents who's like, oh, I don't know about what to show my kids. I don't know that this is something that you should, but then it also doesn't really give the good stuff for the adults either. So, <laughs> so it's the um, worst of both worlds, sort of. But it's a really well. But other than that, it's a well-made movie. You know, it <laughs> it, it like visually, it's beautiful. It sounds mm. great. The monster looks like crap because it's CG, but otherwise, it's an interesting design. So, uh, I won't keep ranting about it, but. It was not my favorite. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can meet if you'd like. You can read my review for it on KillerHorrorCritic.com. Uh, otherwise, another thing coming out is Mother Android on Hulu on the seventeenth. Uh, so this one, uh, I, I believe, stars Chloe Grace Moritz, and Ooh. and it's essentially about her and her boyfriend who are like 
uh, trying to get through a wasteland in a world that's populated by like murderous androids now. So, <laughs> uh, so that sounds interesting. That comes to Hulu on the 17th. I have not had the pleasure of watching that yet. And then Nightmare Alley. Uh, speaking of Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro's new film Nightmare Alley will be in theaters on the 17th. And this one, as far as I understand it, is essentially about a carny who meets a very dangerous therapist and that's really the best i can pull out of synopsis so (laughs) so i'm really not sure what to expect from this one but it looks beautiful it looks great i've heard nothing but amazing things about it so far of course it's gonna be amazing yeah so so that's gonna do it for releases so one other thing we'd like to do is every week on our twitter at killer critics we like to put up a poll just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and what you think of it so between love it it's fine don't like it never seen it where do you think the audience falls on Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, better watch out. <laughs> I'm going to go with never seen it, just because, like, Silent Night, Deadly Night, it's it's a great first two movies, but it's a franchise nobody really talks about. So I'm assuming people haven't really seen the third one. Yeah, this is a, you know, for, for being such a popular name, because I, I feel like most horror fans, you know, at, at one point encounter Silent Night, Deadly Night, right? Like yeah. We, like, we all have either seen it or kind of know of it or something like that. Um, so it's a well-known franchise in that sense. But I do I do get the sense there are a lot of people that are either surprised that there are sequels or that, <laughs> or that just haven't seen them, right? Because, yeah, you know, part two has its cult iconic status, you know, garbage day. Uh, but, but three through five don't really have that, despite the fact that they do feature, you know, really well-known celebrities yeah. like Bill Mosley. Part four is Clint Howard. Part five is Mickey Rooney. You know, so what? like, yeah, it's amazing. You know, so so yeah, so you're you're correct. Uh, so love it was nine point five percent. It's fine. It was thirty three point three percent. Don't like it was twelve point seven percent, and never seen it is forty four point four percent. So yeah, none of that surprises me. Yeah, th- those are all kind of right where I expected them to fall. You know, <laughs> so I don't. I'm not really surprised by any of those reactions. Um. So we, we always like to get comments from you all on Twitter as well. So, again, these are all from Twitter. If you'd like to skip these, usually we usually go about 10 minutes or so, so you can skip ahead if you'd like. But up first is at RealFeelsPod. So that's R-E-E-L-F-E-E-L-S-P-O-D. And they have a podcast as well. You should check them out. Uh, but they say, so I only say it's fine because of how random of a turn this film takes. It's still batshit crazy, but in a good way? <laughs> It's just bonkers, but I mean, if Jason can deal with a girl who has psychic powers, then I guess we can too with Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, better watch out. I mean, exactly. Any good franchise should have a final girl who has psychic powers. I feel like that should be a new rule. Uh, But yeah, this movie, I feel like, true to form, just went off the rails, and went off the rails so early on. Like the first, the first movie is gorgeous. It makes sense for the most part. It's a good film, and then with part two, and and following Ricky, they just decided that this franchise was just gonna be batshit crazy, not make a whole lot of sense, and you were gonna love it in spite of. I, that? I mean, I mean, with this franchise, like the sleigh was already kind of teetering off the rails, <laughs> right? You know, and and honestly, I mean, by the time we get to Silent Night Deadly Night Part Two, like. Fucking Rudolph's nose has exploded and Santa's drunk and, you know, all the reindeers are pretty much dehydrated and starving and kind of losing their minds. And in part three, they're really all just dead. Yeah, I mean, Santa started this out drunk. Well, well, Santa's Santa's beyond drunk by part three. Santa's like in a ditch with the sleigh 
turned over, you know, just drowning in his own vomit. So. <laughs> no horrifying image. <laughs> and and there's some toys there as well. So and they're just you know covering his puke. But you know, so the the thing. I mean, first of all, you know, it is funny that you mentioned Jason, uh, real fuel spot, because. I, if I remember correctly, Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven it came out a year before this, so uh, so <laughs> it would so it would very much not surprise me if Silent Night Deadly Night Three just straight up kind of stole that idea. I mean, look, you know, the it's interesting because the the psychic powers and telekinetic powers were kind of like all the rage of the eighties. And to be honest, I'm really upset that they sort of went away in the early nineties. We don't really we, get a lot of movies like this anymore. We need more psychic girls. Uh, more psychic girl. I don't. I don't care. Just more psychic <laughs> girls. More psychic movies. More telekinesis. Like we just don't have enough. You know. No. I mean, obviously, the Scanners franchise made it huge. There was Carrie. There's a great film called The Fury that has also one of the best head explosions. If you want to talk Scanners. Awesome. And 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 we have all of these like you know psychic links with uh, killers <laughs> movies like this one, right? Uh, that was just like a huge thing. And then in the '90s, and I kind I'm kind of sad that we don't really do that anymore you know because if anything human beings are going to evolve to that point right we're all going to be psychic eventually so i hope not so we might as well keep making movies about it but anyway so thank you at real feels pod for the comment appreciate it uh next up is a comment from at brad sabbath so that's b-r-a-d-s-a-b-b-a-t-h and they say how can you not love it bill mosley with a dome on his head (laughs) Okay, I do love the dome on the head because it is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense because it means his brain is, like, floating above his head. It's not even where it would naturally be. And Bill Mosley is amazing. He is fantastic. But we all know how I feel about this. I want Eric Freeman. Well, okay, so this is where I'll jump in because <laughs> this is not really a spoiler with this. But, you know, the thing about that is that... So, okay, you want Eric Freeman so bad. Yes. But... Part of, you know, part of the issue with Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 is that, you know, if you come expecting the Ricky character, you don't get the Ricky character. But it's not just because Eric Freeman's not in the role. Bill Mosley's a great actor. And Bill Mosley, you know, has played characters like the Ricky that we know from part two, right? Like, Bill (laughs) Mosley is completely insane in a lot of his roles. Yeah, but he's insane goodly. Eric Freeman is insane badly. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. Like, they could still be insane. He still, Bill Mosley had every opportunity to do this role really well, you know, and it's not mm. his fault. The The problem is, is that they took this really, like, just flamboyantly evil character in Ricky and made him a potato, you they know? Did. So a crying so, potato. A crying potato, which we'll get to. So, like, you know, he he doesn't really even have much dialogue in this movie, you know? So it's like, why why even have Bill Mosley at this point, right? Because he doesn't get to say anything. That's true. Other than, Laura. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, that's just such a waste of his personality. So, and it would have been a waste of Eric Freeman's as well, you know? Like, if you just had Freeman lumbering around going, Laura. Like, maybe it would have been funny. I don't know. But it wouldn't have been what you expect from Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll give you that. Yeah. So anyway, you, but yeah, I just want to say really quick too. Uh, I mean, the dome is fucking ridiculous. I love <laughs> like, the dome. It's it, it's great. It, you know, it, it, this is another thing where it calls back to just like, or not calls back because it was a part of the time. But you know, it's just one of those things with just like the really bad campy sci-fi, right? Yeah. Like this is another thing that I just miss from the genre so much that we don't see a lot of now. Just this over-the-top campy sci-fi. I mean, the goddamn dome on his head. He looks like a fucking alien. <laughs> And it doesn't even work like that, you know, because as Chris pointed out to me 
more times than I want to remember uh, during the movie that his brain his brain's too ridiculous. big. His brain's too big, basically. Yeah, <laughs> it is sitting in the wrong spot. Right. So so have fun being annoyed by that next time you watch this. Um. <laughs> so anyway, thank you at Brad Sabbath for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at beernut1, so that's B-E-E-R-N-U-T, and then the number one. And they say, an entertaining film, I love the banter on old cell phones. Quote, you'll never know how you lived without one. The movie, however, feels a lot like a separate standalone story that they changed or added a couple things to so they could make it part of the S- of the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise. Enjoy and thanks. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely agree with that because any any tie-in to the original Silent Night, Deadly Night or Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 really feels kind of like forced in. Like What tie-in? It's it's the character the, Ricky we, and then we get his memories a little bit. We don't it. even get his memories. He, we get Billy's memories. That's right, because he's possessed by Billy, as I <laughs> stated in, part, in our discussion on Part 2. <laughs> yeah, so it's... Yeah, this very much feels like a movie that was just, like, shoehorned in. But you know what? I'm not mad about it because I like it, and I feel like it fits in the franchise in the fact that it makes no fucking sense. Well, it definitely fits in the franchise. Silent Night, Deadly Night is not a quality franchise. <laughs> like, no. But, but I say that adoring it. I do actually, like, third. the third one's actually my least favorite in the franchise. And this is a movie that, you know, I don't mind watching. I, I, yeah. li- I like it. It has charm for me. So, like, the fourth and fifth, I actually have things that I really enjoy about them. Um, it's an enjoyable franchise, but yeah. it, is not, it is not one that I would label quality, no. right? Uh, and, and, you know, as, look, the cell phone conversation, there is a whole conversation uh, in this movie about cell phones. And I just have to say, like, the older I get, the more fun it is for me to, like, watch movies talking about technology that's new at the time mm-hmm. that is like fucking old as shit now you know <laughs> <laughs> and, and and this is one of them where one of the detectives played by robert culp is like going off about <laughs> cell phones and how, how how you gotta get one in your car and all this kind of stuff yep. and and it's just it's so fucking ridiculous to listen to now and be like shit man this stuff's like plugged into our brains now like robert yeah. like robert colt's character would have his mind fucking blown if he was so impressed by cell phones at that time I mean, gotta, you know, imagine oh. the internet, Robert. <laughs> he would lose his shit nowadays. I, I always like to imagine how those people would, like, react if they were suddenly plopped in 2021. They'd be, like, like their heads would explode, scanner style. <laughs> They'd be so excited. He'd have everything. Yes, indeed. Um, that would be the first reaction. I have everything, not what the fuck is happening right now. <laughs> but anyway, thank you at Beerna1 for the comment. Appreciate it. And then, uh, lastly, we have a comment from at Roy is gay, duh. So... <laughs> That is R-O-Y-I-S-G-A-Y-D-U-H. And they say, not my personal favorite of the franchise, but it's fun watching Robert Culp chew the scenery. It absolutely is. Look, I can't imagine that this is the strongest one in the franchise just because everybody kind of seems like they showed up and they say their lines really well, but their facial expressions don't change half the time. Like, our main girl, like, Samantha Scully has an amazing final girl scream. I love her screams. They're so good. She has an amazing scream, but, oh, man, she cannot make the face to match it. She cannot, <laughs> and it's it's so hilariously off, and I feel like that's what makes this movie fit in this franchise. It's those weird, endearing, bad qualities that makes me really kind of love this film. It is not my favorite because Eric Freeman. Yeah. 
Well, you're just not gonna go over. I Freeman, am not. <laughs> I don't think any movie in this in this franchise is gonna compare with him. Probably not. Uh, so, well, you haven't seen five yet. Um, <laughs> you'll All see. All right, I'll wait. You'll see. I'll wait. You'll see. So yeah, no. I, like I said, you know, it's not my personal favorite uh, for a lot of reasons, which we'll go through as we as we as we go through the rest of the month. I think. As for Robert Culp, I mean, yeah, Robert Culp's fucking great in this movie. Like to me, Robert Culp is the life of this movie. Like everyone else feels like they're in a different movie than Robert Culp, you know? Yes. Because uh, everyone else in the in the film, including Bill Mosley, uh, they, they're they all sort of, you know, and, and respectably so. They're all, like, taking their characters very seriously, it feels like. They're, they're, they're trying to really, like, play the horror movie mm-hmm. role, right? And, and be really serious about it and all that kind of stuff. And Robert Culp feels like the only one who's just on set, like, having a fucking blast. Like, yes. he, he is just so energetic and lively. And all of his scenes are my favorite scenes because this is a movie that sort of, you know, drags its feet and kind of stumbles along like Ricky in the film. So <laughs> uh, so, so it, it is kind of one of the slower entries uh, in the franchise. And so anytime you have Robert Cole pop up and just, you know, being this totally ridiculous, like, cell phone-obsessed cop, uh, <laughs> it's always a fun time. And, you know, for those who don't know Robert Cole, because it is December and I love this movie – I want to mention, you know, if you're, if you're not familiar with him, like Pelican Brief, Spy Hard, all those kind of movies, but he's also been in uh, Santa Slay, which is the movie we've mentioned on here a few times with Goldberg as a killer Santa. If you've never seen it, you have to watch it. I'm going to try to reference this movie all month long when yep. I can. So <laughs> go see it. It's it's hilarious. But so anyway, so thank you at Roy is Gay, duh, for the comment. Appreciate it. And then one last thing we like to do before getting the spoilers here is the tagline versus the film and what we think of it overall. So... The tagline for Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 3, Better Watch Out, was When your nightmare ends, the real terror begins. <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of the movie overall? Did they even know what movie they were writing a tagline for? Uh, I mean, it's basically the same tagline from Part 2, which was something about the nightmares real again or some crap <laughs> i mean i guess it's just that tagline it doesn't even mention christmas there's no christmas the last one no didn't mention christmas you know you'll find that part four doesn't have much to do with christmas either it's really just part one and part five that are like heavily christmas <laughs> well that's just disappointing it's a it's odd it's, it's an odd. odd choice well and i feel like that that sums up a lot of this franchise it's a lot of odd choices but we love them for their odd choices like for me the big thing with this one is this feels like silent night deadly night but bitchy because every character in this but bitchy but bitchy the fuck does that mean (laughs) because every character is like kind of snide kind of bitchy like in this way that's really endearing like i love laura just say just say you hate samantha scully why don't you (laughs) i don't hate her i love her i'm not saying bitchy as like a negative i'm saying Uh, as it a positive like i love how sassy this entire cast is gotcha does it make sense no not really and i'm a hundred percent okay with that Oh, I, I don't even say not really. It doesn't make sense. There's no. There's there's some there's, moments it there's could. There's no sense. There's there's no sense. It's absence of sense. Well, it's look, never if, heard of sense. If you're gonna end up having a psycho- uh, a psychic main character, 
Yeah, it might not always make sense, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, too. I'm just not going to sit here and say any of it makes sense. I love that it doesn't make sense, though. That's my favorite kind of movie. But. It makes about <laughs> as much sense as a, a psychic girl raising Jason from the dead. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, this might In actually universe. make more sense than that, because that never made sense. That makes sense. <laughs> that totally makes sense. All right, moving on. So... <laughs> So, no, I mean, look, yeah, the tagline's a continuation of the second one. It, I, I don't get it. It's so boring. But yeah. it does But it does relate to a theory I'm going to introduce in a second, but we'll do that for spoilers. So, <laughs> uh, so the thing that I will say is actually a further answer to Beer Not One's comment earlier that I meant to say is that, so while I, while I could not tell you if, you know, well, I do not know how much of this is, you know, really originally a Silent Night, Deadly Night movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do believe that the full thing is that, but why it probably seems so, like, slapped together is because it was. So <laughs> Of course it was. Uh, so as far as I understand it, the there was, a, there was a script which eventually got discarded by Monte Hellman because he didn't like it. And, and to my understanding, that was pieces of that were kind of ended up use, being used for part four. And Hellman and the other writers, they, they basically ended up slapping together a new script within a week. Shit. Uh, and then the film itself was slapped together because I, I, I want to say that the final draft of the script that was slapped together in a week was finished in, like, March. And then the film was, like, screening by July or something. Oh, so, shit. <laughs> so they, like, really, like, you know, chugged this one along. Uh, which, again, does not surprise me looking back on the franchise as a whole. I'm pretty... I'm yeah. pretty sure that that was kind of how all of them, except the first one, were handled. So, <laughs> and and even the first one was kind of rushed a little bit. So, so I found that kind of interesting, or, or you know, it might explain a lot. And then the thi- one other thing that I do kind of like is that apparently there's a good story with Hellman when he screened the film initially, and I don't know quote for quote what he said, but he basically said that he considers the film his best work, but not his best film. And, oh. and, and re- re- well, related to what I just said in the sense that he, he's basically proud of, like, how quickly they actually managed to slap this together mm-hmm. and, you know, put out a, whether you like it or not, a somewhat competent movie, right? Yeah, and so, yeah I agree with that. And, and, I, and I think elements of it are well-directed. It's just, you know, just not very exciting. <laughs> so, so now, but I get that, you know, the, the film is just going to be tough. And, you know, any of us who have worked on a set, we know how much everything can go wrong in a day and it yep. happens all the time. Uh, and so you do just kind of have to take the wins. And it's like in this business, you know, everything falls apart sometimes. So to be able to like still manage to churn out this movie, you know, as much of a disaster as it might have been, eh, that's an accomplishment. So, yeah. so I can totally understand him being like, it's my best work, but not my best movie. You know, so maybe that's true. Maybe his work speaks for itself in the sense that they did this so quickly and it's not the worst thing you've ever seen. It so. is not. It is, is, like you said, it's a competent film. Exactly, yes. Competence. Competent. <laughs> uh, unlike Ricky and basically everyone in the movie. Uh, <laughs> so, so, speaking of that, we are going to get into spoiler territory now. So, again, if you have not seen it, please do go check it out on, I believe it's on Shudder as well as Tubi. So, watch it there. Otherwise, we're going to spoil... Everything we can get to about Silent Night, Daily Night, Part 3 now. So, I think the thing that I want to start with is... The the thing that strikes me immediately about this one is that unlike the first two films, which, you know, mostly follow our killer from their point of view, 
this is the first one in the Silent Night, Deadly Night slasher franchise to actually have a quote-unquote final girl. About fucking time. Yeah, so why is that? <laughs> Do you feel like that should have always been the case? or like? No, I mean, I think the interesting thing with, with the first two was the fact that we got things from the killer's perspective, but I think that's really hard to like keep up, you know? Um, and keep it interesting. And the moment that you introduce a final girl, then, you know, then you can kind of fall back on the killer being whatever the killer is going to be. And the final girl becomes the interesting part of the film, kind of. And I love the fact that, like, Silent Night, Deadly Night decided, we're finally going to have a final girl. She's going to be psychic, she's going to be blind, and she's going to be sassy as fuck. And I feel like that just fits so well in this, like, cobbled together franchise. I fucking love her well it's great because look you know i i i don't i don't know that the character of laura is really well well done you know like no, not I, necessarily like um but i love the idea of her you know mm-hmm. and and this is something you know th- this is an element of the movie that i do really appreciate because you know i i don't need a final girl through this franchise i i like that the first two are from billy and ricky's point of view mm-hmm. um but it is interesting that, you know, considering this is a slasher franchise, like I mentioned, I think, on, on the episode for the first film, is it's interesting that this is a slasher franchise, but it took them three films to get to, you know, a quote-unquote final girl, right? Like, yeah. this was the 80s. That was kind of like the thing, as mm-hmm. all of these movies had that. And so Silent Night, you know, kind of stood out a little bit for not really going that route, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, the women in it were either the villain with... <laughs> With Mother Superior, <laughs> or they're just basically, you know, meaningless, right? Like, yeah. other than to drive the killer to kill. So, <laughs> so, so it's re- it's refreshing for the franchise to get Laura, and then Laura herself, I feel like, is a testament to the time a little bit because even though she's not super well developed, you know, mm-hmm. she's still she's still an intriguing final girl and and represents the time well because. You know, after you got, I think, Nancy in A Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984, uh, I I think there was this beginning of a change with the approach to Final Girls, you know, because they'd often been just like, you know, the the screaming girl running from the killer who eventually kind of fights back and gets lucky and kills him, right? (laughs) Uh, Which is how I've always kind of envisioned, you know, Laurie Strode in Halloween. Like, she's pretty passive until the end, right? And so... (laughs) And, and, and Nancy was kind of one of the first ones to, like, really go after the killer, you know? So, in this case, Laura's not going after the killer, but she has she has a personality to the point where it's, like, she doesn't strike me as, you know, the 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 virginal final girl who's, like, totally yeah. innocent, and, and she's kind of a dick, right? Like, she's mean to everybody. She taunts and, that one woman about her death. Like, the, she well, sees she, the well, receptionist's death. Well, she tells the receptionist she's not going to have a Merry Christmas, which yeah. I think is fucking hilarious <laughs> I, that's what i love about her is so many final girls yeah they kind of are these epitomes of like heroic and like they're good people and they good do good deeds they're girl scouts and that's awesome but i fucking love the fact that laura is not one of those girls she would not be welcome at those parties because she's just gonna be sassy and talking back and i do really like the fact that they for final girl she's seen all of these deaths and then she's basically just like shrugging her shoulders at me and like well that sucks nothing i can do about that and i kind of love that about her because she's yeah i have to imagine by this point she's just used to it you know like she goes (laughs) like (laughs) like everywhere she goes there's just someone there's just someone with like their head hanging off their shoulders or like 
their guts split open or like <laughs> you know their eyeballs are popping out and she's just like ah, i'm used to it by this point she's you know she's like a very seasoned horror fan like watching a grisly death now just like ah, that's cool <laughs> she's just walking through the grocery store being like i know how you're gonna die i know how you're gonna die and i don't care yeah these characters are always tortured and laura's the first one like this is fucking great yeah <laughs> fuck all y'all i don't give a shit i, I get to make fun of all, all of you um <laughs> Yeah, no, so, so I mean, I think that's interesting about her. I, I really like that, I, I really like that from the film being from her perspective, too, that, you know, there's, there's sort of a, a approach to the visuals that we kind of get, like, through her eyes, so to speak. Because mm-hmm. um, something, you know, and, and this is why I say that, like, as much as you might not like the movie, I do think that Hellman had a lot of good ideas for it or, or approached it with, you know, the uh, approach with this sort of idea of like trying to accomplish something good. Right. And, and and I see that in, in the visuals, which is interesting because, you know, the visuals themselves are not, they're not particularly intriguing, but I sort of love that the whole hospital scenery and the dream scenery and, and, you know, and really most of the color in the movie is all just like either like blinding white light or just kind of like muted colors, like grays and blacks, right? Like yeah. Laura pretty much only wears black. A lot of the people in the hospital, uh, even you know the patients there, are just wearing like gray or white or black. And, yeah, that's true. And, and so I kind of love that everything's this very muted color because it sort of it sort of makes you feel like you're seeing the film, you know, in a sense through Laura's eyes. Because yeah, she's blind, so you know, it's kind of like the best way maybe to visually kind of show it to you mm-hmm. the way she might imagine it yeah. because maybe color is not as vibrant, right? Yeah. In her no, mind, so. I can totally see that. And then that means that when we do get pops of color, it's always red and it's always, again, going back to the last movie, um, it's always setting Ricky off. Well, only- exactly, yeah. It's the only color that really stands out in the movie is red. <laughs> yeah, it's the only color that we're really seeing and we only see it when um, we're dealing with Ricky. We almost never see red when we're just with laura um Mm. and i think that that's kind of showcases a little bit of their connection i guess because i think to your point you know we are seeing most of this movie through her point of view the two of them are psychically connected to each other and so i think you know the only time that laura potentially sees anything outside of her like i don't want to say drab world Hmm. well i mean but that's what it is right like you know i mean let's not you know let's be frank about it like you're you're blind you live in a somewhat drab world because of that right yeah um like obviously you know laura probably has uh, a much different way to see the world in her mind Mm -hmm. but so so i guess what i'm saying is like the the sort of colors that we're seeing it's not necessarily that that's how laura sees it it's Mm -hmm. more just so that you know i i think that's director's like best visual representation uh, of showing the world through a blind person's eyes, right? Yeah, it's just this blinding light and muted colors. Where just, uh, and that and that goes along with Laura because she herself, you know, is sort of curious to me because, uh, so so one thing that's maybe a slight negative on the character, uh, even though it's not directly discussed, so I can't really say how much this is the case, but another kind of you know weird sort of flip here is that. Not only do we get our final goal for the first time, but it's also the first time where the religious person is the hero. And so I don't know how religious Laura is, but Laura's like, it's very hard to miss. 
uh, our first image of Laura wearing mm-hmm. a cross, and she wears crosses all throughout the movie. Okay, I as as a fashion person, I would say during the eighties, that was just a very common accessory. It had nothing to do with religion. I, I understand. And she is a very fashionable girl. I understand it was a common accessory. I understand it's fashionable, but this is a movie where wardrobe and jewelry and all that stuff is picked out to be very precise. <laughs> So I will give you that because her wardrobe is amazing and I want all of her outfits. It is amazing. I do also have to wonder though, like, does her brother dress her because he also kind of dresses like the male version of that, you know? So I mean, yeah, she probably I mean, yeah, he probably does help her get dressed, but I mean that that doesn't that doesn't mean well, she's well, okay, religious. Look, so, well, I know it doesn't mean she's religious, but look, humor me, you know, because mm-hmm. Uh, because for me, I just uh, I, I just can't ignore things like this, you know, because, mm-hmm. again, I, I think that, look, is, as I always try to say, is it at all possible that the director had no intention whatsoever for the cross to mean anything and it just looked nice? Of course. Yeah. But but if I'm if I'm going to actually look at this movie, I'm going to look at the fact that, yeah, th- that's part of her wardrobe is crosses, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so I do think that there's a religious element to her because there's a religious element to the first you know, to the franchise, like uh, Ricky and Billy have always been against the church. The first two movies are very anti-church. And so to me, having Laura this time, that's kind of attributed to the good character mm-hmm. is just kind of fascinating to me. Uh, and I think it ends up working with this connection that we're talking about in a sec where, you know, Laura is this, you know, potentially religious person. And, to me, she that's a, to me that's also kind of representative of the times because we <laughs> there. I feel like there was a point in the '90s, especially where we started getting back to the like you know really naive sort of religious w- stuff. Well, yeah, the religious stuff, the the kind of like goody two shoes final girl. Like we almost oh, kind of yeah. like we almost kind of like started going backwards. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and so. Um, but okay, the connection, how that relates there. So the, so you had mentioned earlier, yes, Billy and or Ricky and Laura have this psychic connection, and I think that where if she is more religious, it becomes interesting. Is that I I look at their connection as sort of like they they are both these characters who lost their parents at a young age. Mm-hmm. They're they're both characters who are kind of you know, whether by their own actions or not, sort of outcasts of society, uh, where where they're sort of looked at differently just on a surface basis alone, right? Mm-hmm. Ricky's a fucking <laughs> Frankenstein head, right? And they're, they're and, both snarky bitches. And Laura's blind. And well, Ricky's not anymore, but He was. But yeah, they, they both lost their parents. They're both these characters that are kind of like you know, outcasts of society. Like you got fucking Ricky as, you know, potato head Frankenstein. Uh, you've got <laughs> Laura who's, who's blind and they're both looked at differently. You know, they're both looked at as like being outcasts. And then, and then both of them too, you know, sort of absorb that and, and treat the world around them the way the world sees them. So, you know, Ricky's obviously a fucking madman killer. <laughs> and, and Laura herself, you know, has a bit of darkness in her where, she is kind of a dick, you know, like yeah. she, like she's, she's rude to everyone. She insults people. She kind of mocks that nurse for 
you know, the fact that she's going to have her fucking throat slit soon. Like, <laughs> to be fair, that nurse kind of deserved it. <laughs> I'm not saying the nurse didn't deserve it, but it doesn't mean Laura had to be... Like, look, the, look, the nurse was a dick. Does that mean that she deserves to be mocked for the murder that's about to happen to her? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know that that's really justifying <laughs> that. So, so the point is, the point is, Laura's a dick. And so the religious thing, I almost wonder if, you know, part of what's kind of unique about their connection is that they're, they're both these like lost souls kind of searching for something, right? Mm-hmm. Searching for a connection. And... Because Ricky's kind of like a sympathetic character in part two, it like they try to make him that. He's he's not really, <laughs> but there but there's kind of that implication, right? Yeah. Of like, oh, it's not all his fault. The fact that he's kind of seeking Laura particularly and and if she is religious, you know, it just almost feels like is is Ricky trying to find the good? <laughs> is Ricky <laughs> like is Ricky trying to find redemption? <laughs> In oh sense. no! <laughs> Fuck no! He's not trying to find redemption. You don't think so? So I don't. I do think so. <laughs> I don't think he's trying to find redemption, but I think he is trying to find a place where he belongs. And I think we kind of saw that with with the second movie that like Ricky just kind of wants to live his life and maybe murder people on the side a little bit. If yeah, just a if, hobby. <laughs> yeah, if they're naughty. Um, punish. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm kind of curious because like he goes off in search of of Laura. He doesn't really kill too many people along the way. And to be fair, they are shoving the holidays in his face, and he doesn't like that. But I have to wonder if he's a little disappointed with Laura, if she betrays him a little bit, because... Well, because he's gone all this way to, like, meet her. We have that very, like, sympathetic moment and very, like, quintessential moment where Laura, the blind girl, is feeling his face and they seem to both be connecting. And then she touches his goddamn fishbowl, screams, and runs away. And I feel like Mm. that's what, like, sets Ricky back off. So I don't really think he was looking for redemption so much as, like, a home and a place to belong. I mean, but that's the same thing to me. So, like, look, it's, I mean, is Ricky looking for forgiveness? Probably not. No. But, and, and is he disappointed when she feels this fishbowl? Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, you know, I guess it's like being caught when it's really cold out, right? And, you know, you are you swear that it looks better <laughs> in the heat. Uh, and that's probably how Ricky's feeling in the moment. But, you know, but but no, I, I think that, I think the redemption thing stands because, it's not it's not necessarily about being forgiven it's about being understood right and that yeah. w- and that was something that even if it's not done well is like implied in part 2 where mm-hmm. you know Ricky doesn't kill the girl who thanks him yeah. because she gets it you know yeah. she gets it people got to be fucking punished <laughs> sometimes and and i think in this you know like going all the way to like why Ricky cries you know mm-hmm. uh while he's in the coma is because he he is this character that's looking for you know for for some sympathy. He's looking. He's a character. Who, he, he's he's yeah. looking for that home. That's exactly what you're saying. He's yeah. looking for that home. And finding a home is in a sense redemption because finding a home means that you've been forgiven for whatever kind of monster you've been, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you have a place of understanding. So see, I think he's crying because that doctor is so terrible. 
I mean, that's one like, <laughs> way to look at it, I guess. <laughs> I feel like he just feels for Laura because I have to wonder with the connection. Like, I do agree. Ricky absolutely is looking for connection. But what about Laura? Does she even know that that's what the doctor is pushing her towards? Well, look, so this is what Laura... Uh, look, as, like, as, she's blind. She doesn't know that there's a fishbowl man in the other room. Look, as creepy as the doctor is about it, I actually agree with him that I do <sighs> think... I agree with him that I do think that she's looking for something. You know, mm-hmm. like, I, I do think that she's looking for a connection. So, so look, this is the thing that, you know... We watch these movies and, like, they're fun and, you know, we have a good time with them. But, like, there is something, like, on a much more primal kind of deeper level with these things. And in particular, when it comes to, you know, slashers and the whole, like, final girl and the monster trope. Because, you know, in a lot of these – so, like, one way to look at it – and, look, we all have our sort of different approach to this, right? But one way to kind of look at these things is that the – in films like this, the uh, the monster is like a – if you can think of it this way, the monster is like a piece of the final girl that she wants to destroy and vice versa. Okay. You know, uh-huh. so, like, so, like, if you look at the monster, the final girl is like this good piece of them that they want to destroy. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at this particular film, I think kind of what's going on here, if you're looking at, like, sort of a metaphorical whatever connection between them – and and why they're so drawn to each other it's because like in every one of these movies they're a yin and a yang right Mm -hmm. and and they both coexist but these movies are kind of about destroying the other and becoming sort of whole in that sense Uh and so with laura you know laura being what why why laura is interesting is because she's a character that you know isn't perfect and isn't innocent and is kind of an asshole, you know, and, <laughs> and and I think the reason for that is is that her her sort of confrontation with Ricky is really more of a confrontation of kind of like the dark part of herself, you know. Yeah. So so if you look at Ricky as sort of like sort of like a Frankenstein version of her anger and her loneliness over her parents dying, mm-hmm. uh, then in that sense, you know. Ricky kind of like represents what she might become, mm-hmm. which is this sort of monster. Like, like think about it this way, you know, being blind, she's treated like a monster by society, right? Yeah. Or, or she's treated differently to a certain degree, uh, like an outcast. And, and so Ricky's kind of like a representation of maybe how she sees herself in a sense, like this monster, right? So her facing him and confronting him is like confronting that darkness because if she embraces Ricky and becomes Ricky, you know, that's part of the moral of the movie, if there's any, mm-hmm. is that, you know, she ends up losing everyone around her because she's such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, you think know? that's why she ends up seeing Ricky, like, in the therapist's office when he tells her there is no normal? Uh, I mean, yeah, probably. Like, I, I think it. I, I think that scene in particular is like, yeah, they're sh- beginning to share this connection, but mostly, mm-hmm. like you're implying, is that, yeah, Ricky, Ricky is a symbol of her belief that she's not normal, yeah. you know, uh, of her belief that there's something like wrong with her, mm-hmm. and Laura's interesting because instead of you know dealing with it differently, she kind of embraces that and sort of you know fires it back at the world around <laughs> her like fine i'm fucking different now i'm gonna you know <laughs> i'm gonna be an asshole to you all the way that you imagine i am i'm gonna be the monster you know yeah 
Yeah, I I wonder because I definitely see that like the yin and the yang between like you know the killer and the final girl, but kind of there's something I want to bring up in this movie because it's the one thing that truly boggles my mind, and that's the fact that this movie is like the perviest like slasher film I feel like I have seen without there actually being any sex in this film. Well, I mean, I don't know if I would say the it's, perviest you've ever a, seen. <laughs> okay, but without sex. Like, there's there's definitely super pervious. There's implied sex. There's one. There's sex of the mind, too. There's penetration of the mind. <laughs> Which, speaking of that, because, like, the doctor's the one who brings up that, like, Laura has penetrated Ricky's mind. Is he implying that, like, she mind-raped Ricky? How much consent is happening with this relationship? I mean, I'm I'm not a I'm not a lawyer. I can't speak on <laughs> I can't speak on, you know, psychic con- connection consent, you know. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a whole issue we're going to have to deal with once we get to like the judge dread world, right? Where we're all like fucking through, you know, the metaverse or whatever. Like I don't even I don't even know what kind of Laws are what kind <laughs> of all laws? Sounds awful. What kind of laws are there going to be in the metaverse? You know, like 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 if you just randomly go up to someone and start like you know bumping them in the butt, like is there you know can they sue you? Th- there's going to be sexual harassment police in the like, metaverse. Like will will there be sexual? No, harassment because we don't have that now. <laughs> uh, so uh, what am I talking about? So so no e- no I mean yeah there is a pervy angle to the movie and and i mean it's not it's not like you know this franchise was devoid of that before like part one's a pretty sleazy film Mm -hmm. but yeah it does but there is definitely like a more pervy sort of approach to it where it's you know it's less kind of this is awful and more kind of like giddy over the sexuality of it right like kind of um like you know the I mean, the whole thing with the doctor about just, the, like... That fucking like monologue. It, like, it, his fucking monologue about, you know, how, how Laura wants it. And what, I'm trying to remember what he says. He says, her body may be young, but her soul is old. You know, like... Oh, it's basically... It, it's this, like, typical male fascination with, like, the younger female body, but mm. with but with a more mature mind that they feel like they can handle or, or deal with, you know? So. That's not even the worst one. The worst one is when he goes, uh, you know, then she'll let me go as deep as she wants. She likes it. She loves it. It's just like, dude, this is your younger patient. You cannot talk to her like that. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like, you know, so, I, you know, with, with this thing, kind of what I'm getting at with the whole way that, you know, Ricky's like the metaphor for her anger and all that, I mean, there's like a metaphysical connection between final girls and their killer, right? Or or their you, attempted killer. And you saying every final girl wants to fuck her killer? I'm not saying every final girl <laughs> wants to fuck her killer. I am saying that there's an implied sexuality between the final girl and the killer in every movie. And it's not like they're ex- it's not like some of these movies are exactly shy about it. Freddy Krueger fucking French is Nancy, you know. So like, I mean, he Freddy fucking Kruger. makes out with her through a phone. And, but and he's Jason, also a pedophile. And Jason's doing all kinds of penetrating with his machete. All right, so like. <laughs> You know, so I mean, I mean, yes, like it. That's not my main focus with this like particular thing in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a part of like what that relates to is that, you know, they that that's what's going on in all of these slashers. <laughs> like, I know, I know, you hate me saying everything's about sex, but look, most things are about <laughs> sex. And in these movies, like whether you see it or not, you know, a lot of it is. So when you when you look at Final Girls as typically being 
the more virginal, innocent, however you want to look at it, you know, part of the way that plays into these things is that there is sort of a battle of sex essentially happening between them and the killer. Mm -hmm. And it's all about penetration and all that kind of (laughs) stuff. And so in the end, it's essentially kind of there. These are all sort of in a way when they're dealing with teens coming of age movies Mm -hmm. where, you know, kind of defeating the monsters kind of like fucking in a way (laughs) you 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 become you become adult and whole and she does get to stab him with the stake as he falls on top of her she does yes yeah that's a very sexual killing yeah she penetrates the fuck out of ricky in this movie (laughs) i just think it's so funny because it is kind of sleazy so it almost feels like with this film they're like we need to make sure that there's more like sexy moments, but they completely like missed the goal because I, it's like, let's have the gas station attendant have a fucking phone sex moment with his girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty weird and out of place, but it, right? it, but it is, you know, but, but I mean, that's the thing. That's a running theme in silent night. Deadly night part three is that <laughs> basically everybody wants to fuck Laura, you know? So yes. like when you, <laughs> well, I mean, when you go through this, like there's a total male obsession with Laura, you know, and with the, body that's so young yet so old you know uh because i mean you know the, ricky is stalking her mm-hmm. the doctor is fucking obsessed with her and talking very talking very sleazily about penetration and all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. and then i mean fucking santa claus is like hey come sit on this lap laura you oh know? no he's hitting on a nurse he's not hitting on laura no not that santa claus chris oh. the santa claus in her fucking dream oh yeah the one that wants to kill her innocence the one who's extremely creepy, who yep. invites her into this giant white room and has her sit <laughs> on his lap. And he's like, hey, come sit on Santa's lap and we'll talk about the first thing that comes up. You know, like he's it, like everybody in this movie is, you know, or all the men, at least, are, are going after Laura's hot, hot young body and her old brain, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and that and then again is speaking to. You know, the the whole experience as, like, a teenage girl and just a bunch of fucking sleazy dudes coming after you. So. That is very true. I do want to say one thing, though, is that I think that the doctor is going after both a her and Ricky because he definitely has a hard-on for Ricky. Like, he's a little too obsessed with that dude to, like, not want to get in his pants. You know, I think the doctor has a really interesting line at some point when he says... Something along the lines of, like, Ricky is not a killer. Ricky teaches why we shouldn't kill or something like that. Oh, he says uh, (laughs) Ricky's not a killer. He's the cure. And then he pretty much, like, compares him to how we use snake venom as, like, an anti-venom. And, like, so it's this weird, whole weird thing where it's just, like, okay, are you trying to get into Ricky's mind so you can learn how to, like, dissuade other killers? Because that's really not possible. So I think you're just using Laura to, like, mindfuck Ricky because you can't do it because you're not psychic. Because he doesn't want to kill Ricky either. He wants Ricky to survive. That's why he steals the goddamn car. So I hardcore think that that doctor really is just setting up this entire experiment so he can have a threesome between Laura and Ricky. Yeah, um, that's not what's happening, Chris. That is absolutely (laughs) what's happening. Well, so I mean, yeah, you know, well, well, so, okay, so this is something that's fun about this movie is that, you know, getting getting off of the the pervy stuff, um, (laughs) which which is its own thing with this, but... uh, but you know, some, something that's fun about the movie, and and look, I didn't say this when when we mentioned Richie Cry or 
I didn't say this when we mentioned Ricky crying in the coma, but I can't remember where I heard this. You know, maybe maybe Joe Bob said it on one of his last driving segments, or maybe I read this somewhere, but I very specifically remember a conversation with Bill Mosley or a quote about Bill Mosley where he mentions like being told to cry in the coma <laughs> and he's like, I don't understand what the fuck this is and, and why I'm doing this, right? And and same thing with like his, you know, whole scene with the old woman or the grandma at the house, right? Mm-hmm. Um but but from what I can kind of tell, you know, the I, I feel like the director Monte Hellman had this vision of doing this sort of like Frankenstein esque uh version of a silent of silent night deadly now right oh absolutely so so when you look at this i mean ricky's obviously frankenstein's monster mm-hmm. the doctor's obviously frankenstein laura is you know the woman that is the wife of frankenstein that the monster's after and <laughs> yeah okay uh and, and so you have all that but basically it, it it takes what what we were talking about with the second film on how it's sort of subtly kind of points to ricky being a sympathetic character and this film goes full on like no yeah ricky sympathetic character you know like it wants you it wants you to feel for ricky and in terms of like the doctor's whole belief on that i mean i don't know what the hell he's saying you know i i I sort of take it as like i don't know like you said like we we learn we learn about the mind of a killer so that we can prevent it in the future somehow right yeah Uh, it's a bunch of bullshit but (laughs) Um, but there is a Frankenstein's monster aesthetic that's going on with the film that I really enjoy where whether you agree with it or not, it does take the sympathetic view towards Ricky. And it, we sort of see that with everything, you know, with with Laura kind of at first sort of, you know, showing kindness to him. There's mm-hmm. the, the scene with the grandma, which is straight out of a Frankenstein movie where he, you know, communicates with the old man and makes friends with him. Yeah. We, we see all these instances where Ricky is like, looking for acceptance uh and then his you know and and then his sort of triggers happen like christmas and red and all that kind of stuff and he ends up freaking out and losing it uh which again i think goes back to you know probably kind of how laura's character feels where you know she's a jerk but she kind of has a reason to be a jerk sometimes like she's fucking blind it sucks you know like it's hard to adapt to it's hard to you know, it's a it's a hard thing to deal with, and so she's angry. <laughs> yeah, and you're dealing with people being shitty to you for very little reason. Like, there's a moment where they're um, it's Laura and um, what's her what's her name? Uh, Jerry, the girlfriend of of her brother Chris. They're in the convenience store, and I guess Jerry's a flight attendant, and she's talking about how like. You know, it's very rare for planes to go down. You have a better chance of being struck by lightning. And Laura has survived a plane crash that killed both of her parents. Like, we Mm. constantly see these kind of, like, you know, insensitive moments with all of these people around her. So I totally get why she's, like, lashing out and... So so this brings me to the last thing, which is that, you know... uh, Well, first of all, on the Frankenstein's point, since, Mm -hmm. since we talked about, you know, the fact that Laura penetrates him with a stake i mean look th- this movie's straight up gothic monster movie right yeah, like absolutely. it's like it, it might not fully come off like that you know but but it's that's trying. what it's, but that's what's very much inspired by is is the gothic monster movies of universal and stuff like that i mean it, she literally stakes him in the heart you know it's not <laughs> it's not subtle there's nobody just has stakes like that lying around in their mm-hmm. basement like she 
it, it very much is trying to make that point of like this is a gothic universal monster movie and what was always the case in those movies is that the monster there was some sort of sympathetic side to them it's it's a curse you know it's mm-hmm. something that they're that they're dealing with that they're trying to overcome again i don't know that that's the right approach with ricky but that's <laughs> what monte hellman wanted to do and that's what monte hellman did so yeah. but but what you were just saying uh, back to that aspect of it is that so the last thing that I, I want to say about this movie is that it, I, speaking on, you know, the whole anger with Laura and all that kind of thing, you know, I basically look at this like, like Laura is getting Scrooged and she is kind of being shown, you know, sort of like past, present, and future. Uh-huh. So, so in this case, you know, the past is the death of Ricky's parents, mm-hmm. which is basically directly, you know, her parents as well. Yeah. Um, they're, they're the same thing. The present is kind of who and how Laura is right now. Mm-hmm. And then the future is everyone dead. <laughs> or, yeah. or, or a better way to put it, everyone having left her uh, because she's an asshole. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, so, so I think, so I think in a weird way, like, even though the movie doesn't, you know, relate to Christmas too well most of the time, mm-hmm. it does in that sense in that it is sort of a play on Scrooge and she's getting her ghosts of past, present, and future. And it's why I think you got Ricky fucking popping up <laughs> in the end after she says Merry Christmas and then he pops up in a fucking suit, <laughs> which looks ridiculous. With his little with fish pole head. With his little fish pole head. And he says, and a happy new year or something like that. And and to me, that's just like, this This is totally fucking Scrooge. Like, yep. this, this is Scrooge through and through. <laughs> <laughs> so you think that this one is a mashup between Frankenstein and A Christmas Carol? I think it's a mashup of those two. And I will even go as far as to say, I think this whole goddamn thing's a dream. <laughs> See, that's what I think. I think that, you know, there's that moment in the psychiatrist's office where, you know, him and Laura are discussing this idea that Laura's granny has, which is that there's a shared consciousness. And I feel like at a certain point in the movie, that's what we've moved to. That, like, the reality we're seeing is not the real reality anymore. It's kind of a blending of how Laura views the world and how Ricky views the world. And I mainly think that because Granny is just too much of a fucking perfect Granny. She looks like what you would see on a Christmas card. Nobody has a grandma like that. Grandmas like that don't exist. Well, so the question you have to start asking yourself at this point then is, is this movie Laura's dream or is it Ricky's dream? Right. I I don't know, honestly. Like, I'm almost like, by the second viewing, leaning a little bit more towards it's Ricky's dream. It's Ricky's dream. Okay, I guess there was a right answer. No, I mean there's not there's not a right answer, but that but that's uh. what I but that's what I think too because um because again, there there's such a sympathetic angle towards Ricky. This mm. this whole movie like Ricky is not maliciously killing. You know, Monte Hellman even went as far as to make sure that certain kill scenes were less malicious. Like mm. the the moment where he originally kills the Santa Claus uh when he wakes up you know, Santa Claus was a, a, a fine dude, right? Mm-hmm. And and as far as I understand, like, Hellman wanted the Santa Claus to be more of a dick so mm-hmm. that it, you know, so that it feels less mean when Ricky kills him. So 
the whole thing, intentional or not, has a sympathetic angle towards Ricky. So I think it's totally believable to think that this film is Ricky's dream, yeah. which is why it has kind of a surreal ending with Ricky popping up like a fucking ghost in the end. <laughs> and and another clue, like for for those that are just fascinated with these things in film, um, it's 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 a it's a generally I think well known method that. When your when your movie opens or closes on white, mm-hmm. that tends to be an implication that it's a dream, mm-hmm. you know, or a scene. If a scene begins or ends that way, and so the fact that Silent Night Deadly Night Part Three opens on like a white fade onto Laura in this you know really bright white sort of dream that she has. <laughs> look, when you open on a dream like that. Mm-hmm everything goes and so it's entirely possible that this whole thing is ricky's dream that he's having while in a coma (laughs) well and ricky does survive in the end because he's the body they're putting in the ambulance that they're calling for life support it's not chris well that doesn't that doesn't matter because if it's all a dream then it doesn't matter that (laughs) but if it's all a dream he has to weirdly survive at the end no he doesn't yes he does what does that make how does that make sense you can't die in a dream you die in a dream, you die in I real life. I die in my dreams all the time. What are what you talking about? What is wrong about? with your dreams? You never, what, you don't have dreams where you're falling in, out of fucking infinity and, you No. Know? Man, you have boring dreams. I don't um, have dreams. <laughs> well, even more boring. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't think that the Ricky surviving in the end means anything. I just think that, I, I think his ghost means more than his fucking body being loaded in the ambulance. It just, mm. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm just saying, I, I think that the film, yeah, it's it's so sympathetic towards Ricky that it very well could be his dream. Because mm-hmm. it's because a way to look at this movie is the way that Ricky sees himself. Mm-hmm. Think about it that way. The the way the the way that it's complicated. Like Laura potentially sees Ricky as her. Ricky sees Ricky as him. Uh, that's the way he sees himself as mm-hmm. like this Frankenstein monster, right? And Laura is maybe the side of himself that he sees that he wants to be. You know, he sees himself as wanting to be better mm-hmm. because the thing about Billy and Ricky is they were never truly evil. No. They were doing what they thought was right, even though, you know, it's not. So. <laughs> they were just trying to punish bad people. And they do this in the, and Ricky does that in this film. He's trying to teach you safety lessons. Don't pick up hitchhikers in a hospital gown with a fishbowl head. You know. And you, don't let people in your house. You know, another way that, you know, another way you can tell it's a dream. How? Laura's brother drives a red car. <laughs> ah. And the and Ricky sees a red car directly in front of him when he's wandering the hospital parking lot. So, mm. like, you know, th- those two factors, again, just makes me think this is all in Ricky's mind. Maybe because, he doesn't even Because have the just like ball. part two, there's too much coincidence in everything that ends up being red. <laughs> There's no reason for the car to be red that her brother drives. People whatsoever. like red cars. What do you have against against people having red cars? People in the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise have, like, a stake in red cars. Like They, they all they, have tiny penises and have something to prove. Like, they must all be invested <laughs> in red cars. To have, there's so many fucking red cars in these movies. Uh, but all right, we got to start wrapping up. That's enough of a ranting about Ricky <laughs> and his fucking, you know, dreams. Um, So... <laughs> So, who, who is your killer idiot of Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 3? I mean, obviously, Granny, for letting a stranger into her house, was a fishbowl head, feeding him, and then trying to give him a present. No, Granny, keep your goddamn door locked, you dumb bitch. 
Yeah, I mean, Granny's pretty dumb. I would say that, though, Dr. Dewberry approaching Ricky with his hand held out as he's just murdered somebody is maybe a little dumber. Yeah. He, he is blinded by lust. That's my only explanation. Sure. Um, <laughs> which, that doesn't, really re- that doesn't really go with this, but something that I don't think I've mentioned on any three of these episodes that I want to make sure I do because the fourth and fifth one have nothing to do with Billy and Ricky, uh, is that I've always liked, too, about all three of these first movies is that you can see how directly influenced they are by Halloween because (laughs) every single one of them, all three of them, have either a doctor or a nun that is traveling with 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 an officer (laughs) to take down the killer. All three of them. And all three of them have that uh, killer or none eventually, like, confront the person and mm-hmm. try to reason with them, and it doesn't work. So. <laughs> yeah, but they learned. They didn't want to have their person be crazy like Dr. Loomis. So these guys are actually appropriate with trying to, like, I know. would argue that Dr. Newberry's pretty fucking nuts <laughs> to he, be going, he, to be thinking that he has any chance with Ricky whatsoever. <laughs> blinded by lust. <laughs> Uh, what about your killer death of Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 3? Look, that's Dr. Newberry because, like, he gets gutted, but it's more so about, like, the moment he actually dies because he survives getting stabbed. And then we get to go back to him where he's got his guts that very much look like sausage, which I think is hilarious. And he has the best line at death. I think there's nothing that tops it where he just goes, don't be stupid. And then he dies. Well, yeah, that's because Robert Culp says something to him right before he dies. Yeah, he says... I don't remember what it is, though. It's something along the lines of, like, um, call me. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, call me. Don't be stupid. Um, yep. uh, well, look who finally decided that it's not all about the kill itself, but about how the scene plays out. Um, <laughs> there's no gore in this movie. What do you expect me to do? Well, there's a tiny little bit. So I, no I, I chose when Ricky gets staked through the heart, because I think that's just fucking great. It's pretty great, yeah. <laughs> although although I, I will admit that it's not executed very well, because Ricky basically just, like, falls on Laura. <laughs> he does. <laughs> you know, which, again, I actually, th- well, you know, that I think about it, it works, because if you imagine that, Ricky is like this cursed monster who, you know, uh, who are having this sympathetic angle towards, then maybe it makes sense that he just falls on the stake because maybe he just wanted to die. Maybe. maybe he looks at Laura as like the person who can kill him. I don't know. <laughs> what about your killer MVP? The fucking fishbowl on Ricky's head. The, the fishbowl the itself. Fishbowl. Yeah, I love it. It's so fucking stupid. It makes no sense whatsoever. And I love it because most of this movie, like you said, it's very like drab it's very contained it feels very rooted in the real world and then you have this goddamn fishbowl that you're like what the fuck is that and it is hilarious yeah it's it's one element that i i wish hellman would have leaned into a bit more is like if we are Mm -hmm. looking at this movie as being kind of surreal and dreamy or being itself all a dream Mm -hmm. i wish it would have been a little more surreal here and there Mm -hmm. you know like ricky having this fishbowl himself is pretty fucking whack but yep but I, I would have liked to have seen just kind of a more sort of surreal approach to the movie itself, right? Mm-hmm. Get some more synth in there, maybe. <laughs> like some more You're color. all about the synth. I love synth. Get some more <laughs> color in there. Um, you just oh, want a synthy neon film, don't you? That's all I want any movie to ever be. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that. Like, I don't also want that. Everybody wants that. Yep. Um, so, uh, but no, my killer MVP, I mean, look, I love Bill Mosley, but I'm going to give it to Robert Culp in this case because, again... <laughs> Because, again, I think that Culp just has the best presence in the movie. Like, yeah. I, 
Like again, I think I think Mosley is great as Ricky as well as he. I think I think Mosley is as good with Ricky as he can be. He's just not given much to work with, right? Yeah. Uh, they they really fucked themselves by like turning him into a fucking potato. Yeah. Uh, but but I think that Robert Culp is just again so energetic, so lively. He his moments are the one time during the film that actually, you know, that you get sort of a rush, like yeah. it's not, you know, that that you're enjoying yourself or or you know having fun. Like it, the rest of it is so kind of. Uh, uh, a little bit bland, slower, mm-hmm. more contained, more, you know, more more shooting for uh, of a feeling that maybe it should be doing the opposite of so. dramatic horror. Yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, again, the whole thing with Ricky crying is a lot <laughs> weird. But uh, but all right, so that's gonna do it for us on Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Three. Uh, so hopefully that wasn't just a bunch of rambling. Um, <laughs> although, you know, what really is Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, but a one big ramble. Um, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, so next week we are going to be doing Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation, which are, if... Are there cults? There is a cult. <gasps> there are bugs. <gasps> there is Clint Howard. But yeah, I know. So, I mean, it, it's look, it's a, it's a bizarre film. It's... <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, so definitely look forward to that. Again, that one is also streaming on Shutter and I believe Tubi. So you can go do your homework, check it out there. But otherwise, that's gonna do it for us on Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Three. So I'm Matt and I'm Chris, and have a great night, Horfins. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.